Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Morning, everyone, and welcome to the scoreboard. Slightly different today. This uh, episode will also be going out as a podcast, although I suppose if you're watching me live on YouTube now, you don't care about that. But And if you listen to this podcast, you already know because it's in your ears, right? This show leans in hard on data and technology, so we are proud to work with HCL Tech, leaders in their field. But either way, this is what is happening. Um, working on a big piece for a couple of pieces before the World Cup uh, for the main channel. Uh, one is looking at how India have managed to be a better team without Hardik Pandya when every other team in the world would want Hardik Pandya, and that's not to downplay him. Um, it's more just looking at how they changed their side a little bit and how they've overcome that issue. And then uh, the uh, the other piece that we're working on is how does Australia beat India? I don't think there's really much of a point on how India beats Australia because um, you know turning up to the game is certainly a, a good way of starting uh, with that one, but um, yeah, just looking at a few different things. We talked about it briefly also on the podcast yesterday of, uh, you know, what are the most likely situations? And, you know, I'll go through them very, very, very quickly here at the top. Um, if you, most of this uh, chat on the scoreboard will be Q&A. So if you're in the uh, YouTube at the moment, please do uh, put some comments up. But also um, uh, uh, any super chats, uh, very, very help, handy. But try and keep the comments as much about the, the final. Um, as possible. I know there's a great, there's a great Finn Allen question there. I'm not sure today is exactly the day uh, to dive deep into Finn Allen. Uh, but no, it, you know, any questions about this World Cup? And I've probably got about 30, 35 minutes. You know, my kids are downstairs on their own, so I might be pulled up at any stage because something's on fire or there's a flood um, or whatever it may be. But it, so we looked at it. We talked it a little bit with um, Estelle and Bayram yesterday about you know how sh- India. Um, can lose or how Australia could beat them. So the first option that I've come up with really is bowl first um, Australia and go nuts. Essentially, that one's pretty simple. Trying to restrict them for under 220. Stark is going to have to Stark in order for this to happen. Um, But there's certainly, if you can get to a point where you have taken six wickets by the 35 over mark, probably a chunk up top and then uh, a second collapse or even chipping away in the middle is possible. they could put themselves into a position to do that. Um, you're looking for a pretty drastic collapse, I think, in that situation, or two colla- two separate collapses um, in that. And you would probably need Zampa and Cummins to also take wickets. Cummins has struggled a little bit, obviously. Zampa's taken a lot of wickets, um, you know, and that's uh, certainly uh, along those lines. And then uh, in the chase, setting yourself up 
for your openers or your top three in Australia's case to go out, score very quickly, put a lot of pressure back on the bowling team um, and, and give themselves an easier chase. Essentially, that is what happened against South Africa, right? But it needs to be a bit cleaner, especially the batting. Uh, but even the bowling, there's a couple of times when South Africa did actually fight their way back into the game. I don't think Australia can allow that against India, right? They have to make sure that they completely stay on top of them the whole time. Another one is that Australia bowl first and restrict. Uh, I think to restrict India, you do need to take wickets, but we're not talking about the other one where there's a whole bunch of wickets at the top or, or a big collapse in the middle. What we're really looking at there is just as India are taking risks, you use the pressure of a final um, to just wangle wickets out um, consistently and you keep them to, you know, like for instance, even when you're using your part-timers, oh, I should say in the other one, you probably, you don't want to use your part-timers in the other one. You want, you want to actually get to a point where you don't need to use them unless there's a strategic reason to do so. Whereas in this one, your know, part-timers would uh, uh, be used earlier on, but you use them as attacking options. So perhaps more Marcus Stoinis bowling bounces and less than Maxwell bowling defensive in this kind of a plan. And then you get Warner and Warner Smith or Manus to try and bat as long as possible and allow the rest of the players to to bat around them. And you're looking there at a chase of 280 to 300-ish. And that depends on the wicket. But generally what I mean is you want to keep India to 20 to 40 runs below par, right? You don't want them to get to a par score, um, especially uh, in a World Cup final. I have some issues with this idea. And I think, um, you know, Australia hasn't really shown a defensive flair. Can you have a defensive flair? Uh, but Australia hasn't been very good when it comes to defensive bowling in this World Cup. Or really, it's not their thing, right? The Hazelwood and Maxwell are probably the only really defensive options, although Zampa can bowl pretty tight. Um, and then we're really looking um, at them restricting it. And, and we've seen them do, maybe the Bangladesh game was the best one. But, you know, restricting them to a total that you can get to fairly confidently. And once your batters are on top in that second innings, they can sort of kick on um, and knock the head off early. Um, if you have a look, that two of the, they've had two of these chases in this tournament. One was the Afghanistan game and the other one was the Bangladesh game. Bangladesh game is more or less how you would want it to go. And the Afghanistan game was certainly not how they would have wanted, to, uh, wanted it to go about uh, there. Um, but, you know, uh, I think those make sense. And... If and the two main ones, I think, when they're batting second, sorry, batting first, I should say, is allowing that top three to go out and almost have a triple version of Rohit Sharma, right? So you've got what's Warner? Warner's like Rohit Sharma and, and Virat Kohli, like a combination of of you know different parts of their skills, the ability to score a hundred better than a runner ball, um, you know, and and put a lot of pressure back with running between wickets and occasionally, uh, you know, taking taking on maybe. You know, Jadeja, for instance, slashing the ball early in the power play. Then you've got Head, who, of course, can cause real damage um, to the Indians and can knock the, their seamers off their plan. And then Mitch Marsh as well. That, if, if those guys go absolutely crazy and you bat first, you put yourself into a si situation where you can make so many runs that any chase India do, uh, you know, chasing in general is harder for most teams. Chasing in World Cups is harder than it is in bilaterals. Chasing in a World Cup final when it scores over 350 or, again, 30 to 40 runs over par um, certainly gives you gives you a, a fair chance of winning there. And the other one is, you know, that they they just make that sort of par total. I don't think against India they can afford to be below par, but they bat more sensibly. Perhaps in that kind of you know situation, Smith, uh, Marnison, and Inglis do uh, more of the batting for them um, in that way, um, and they get themselves to a position where they can uh, put pressure on. And then that has to be backed up with early wickets, right? You know, Rohit and Virat certainly are the two most important, but I'd argue in, in that situation, probably just that top three. Get rid of that top three um, 
if you if you do have a big uh, you know if you do have a, a par type score on the board um, and India's going to have the same issues that any team would have in, in that situation I, I don't think the the number eight position is particularly relevant but it, it becomes relevant if you can get yourself to four and five wickets and they start to think about it themselves option five is Maxwell right <laughs> just kind of on his own just you know it was it was it the final word you used to say let Maxi be Maxi um it's going to need some support there, but there is certainly an argument that Maxwell could have one of those kinds of games. He's not particularly good against Boomerang. And and I, I do think there is an issue there with... Um, I, I do think there's an issue there. We haven't seen as much in, in one-day cricket, but certainly in T20 cricket, when he's trying to attack Boomerang, he, find, he finds it hard to go as hard as he wants, I suppose, against Boomerang. Um, I think Boomerang's got him out in T20s about seven times now. Um, in one-day cricket, he averages about 30 against Boomerang, but it, it's more when you want... Ma you don't want Maxwell to be moving the ball around. You, if, if for that fifth option to work, um, it kind of needs to be the full Maxwell, right? Like, just it works and it goes out there. Anyway, those are the things I've been thinking about. Uh, it's... Uh, we... We're still getting information about the pitch. Someone's asked about that, so I get I'll get to it in a moment. Uh, but I'll take a quick break here, and then after the break, we will come back with questions from the room. Uh, I'm Jared Kimber. This is the scoreboard, and uh, thank you all very much for turning up to here today and asking me stuff. Get ready to take charge of your favorite leagues in Wicket Cricket Manager. Control the game, buy and sell players, and train them to victory. Play against friends, strangers, or challenge yourself. With your cricket knowledge, become the master on the pitch of Wicket Cricket Manager. All right. Uh, so there's a few questions in the room, but keep them coming about uh, the World Cup. Uh, I'll get to as many of them as I can, but there was quite a few that started as well. And, and there's a couple about the channel as well. And, you know, I'm going to talk about it a little bit uh, with some questions. Like Sukant says, can you make a case for why you're the Aubrey Faulkner of YouTubers? I can, but I don't think you can be the Aubrey Faulkner of YouTubers. Maybe you can actually now I've said that out loud. I don't think there are many writers who can write to the level that I write to and can broadcast to the level that I broadcast to. Now, if you want to make an argument that I'm not the greatest broadcaster of my um, era, that's fine. If you want to make an argument I'm not the greatest writer of my era, that's also fine. I don't think you can argue that I can do both at a very high level. That's what Aubrey Faulkner did. Also, Aubrey Faulkner was known to talk to himself, and I believe I am literally talking to myself right now. And the other thing that Aubrey Faulkner was very good at was training himself like coaching himself and, and you know making himself into the sort of person he is so there you go i've done it it's all there the Aubrey faulkner uh ari hunt says uh did you read more about the pitch fiasco in, in semi-finals one any opinions on the uh, news for the pitch and the finals we keep hearing rumors i haven't had a chance to get hold of the icc and, and ask everything but as i said the other day the icc have people involved in the pitch um I think it would be very, very weird to have a situation now where um, uh, in the semi-final, the ICC were not in control of the pitch when they're in control of them the rest of the time. These rumors happen. We've This is, oh, sorry, not just rumors. Uh, you know, these things happen. I've said it before. There have been many pitches that I think for World Cup semifinals, for finals, Champions Trophies games, key and knockout games, where these things have happened before. I think we're on heightened alert because things are in India and the BCCI, you know, of, of modern cricket, you would have to say the BCCI have been maybe the most obvious in, in uh, the way that they've changed their pitches to help their home team in, in test cricket. So there's a part of that. There's also the whole BCCI 
is more powerful than the ICC narrative and everything else. Um, but my understanding was that was certainly the ICC were involved, but I haven't got to the bottom of it. It would, it would take me a long time, and I'm not out there to be able to do it. Um, this particular pitch, I believe it's going to be played on the black soil pitch. Um, and I, I think, and this is this is not going to help anyone, especially when, uh, yeah, when probably when India win, um, is that the ICC uh, pitch supervisor, I suppose. I don't, I don't know what the actual title is. I think has left, um, which of, of course would make sense. There's probably not a lot that they could do at this point, and maybe that something else to do. I don't know. It is a bit weird. I, you know, the majority of what you do with the pitch, obviously, is beforehand. It's not um, uh, not so much the last couple of days. Um, so it's a bit weird. I don't know how this has ha- happened, but um, there must be there must be a, a reason. And, and there may, may be another uh, pitch supervisor available there. But, I mean, they're all fair questions, for sure. Um, but because India is involved, this is a huge story. But let me tell you, I just want to talk about this. In... 2017, England played Pakistan at Cardiff in the semi-final of the Champions Trophy. And um, the pitch that was used there, and was supervised by the ICC, but the pitch that was used there was a used pitch for a semi-final of the Champions Trophy. Why? I think we might have had some for the T20 World Cup as well in Australia. Well, then I can't remember if they were knockouts, but either way, there's no reason for this to happen. There's TV companies should be placated in other ways other than just having the center of the ground available. All these different, or they just should move on to hybrids quicker. Anyway, that's a separate point. But the England, when, when that game went about and England played horribly in that game and Pakistan won that game easily, England people were telling me that the ICC had rigged it so that England, and these were proper people in English cricket, by the way, not ECB people, but People had been involved in English cricket for a long time. And um, they were telling me that the ICC had rigged the pitch so that um, Pakistan and India would play in the final. Now, clearly that is not what happened. What happened was they picked Cardiff. Cardiff didn't have maybe as many um, squares available. There's something to do with the broadcasters and everything else. It was a shit show and it shouldn't have happened, obviously. But the point is that you keep getting these things over and over again. Like earlier in this tournament, I had people telling me 100% that um, that there was there was an LBW that was fixed um, to help Pakistan. We had the I had a Pakistani person send me a very emotional email about the fact that in, uh, India were given balls with extra lacquer on it, and he could prove it. And that's why they were swinging the ball more than anyone else, despite the fact they're actually seeming the ball more than anyone else. These things do happen a lot, but so do pitch changes, and so like. Unfortunately, the ICC, I would love to call conspiracy. And if I can prove it, I will certainly do that. Obviously, not been afraid to go up against them before with the whole um, big three takeover and, and many other things uh, that I've probably outed that they don't want to be outed. But generally with the ICC, it's cock up, not conspiracy. Um, so I think that that's always worth keeping in mind on, especially with cricket, um, uh, that, that it's not run particularly well. DM says, are you excited for the India-Australia T20 series starting four days after the World Cup? If ever there was a sign of the format dying. So I, I, I saved this, DM, because this is really interesting. Uh, a similar thing happened in the last World Cup, um, in the last T20 World Cup. The T20 World Cup finished, and what? A couple of days later, England had to play Australia in the T20. So it's interesting how we keep different narratives here. You, you're like, this proves that ODI cricket is dying. But the opposite was true after the T20 World Cup. 
Anyway, I'll take a quick break here. And then after the break, I'll be back to answer more of your questions. I'm Jared Kipper, and this is The Scoreboard. All right, welcome back to The Scoreboard. Bamo Sub says, why do batters try to go big when ones and twos and occasional four is enough? Maxi against South Africa, Klaassen, Mark and Janssen against Pakistan. Why not play the risk-reward ratio of winning? What am I missing? I'm missing a lot of things, I think, in, in that. Uh, firstly, every bound... Like, it's funny how you say the occasional four is enough, right? How do you get that occasional four? Probably by taking a risk. And I think too often people don't understand that that happens. The other thing is, what percentage of the time when you try and hit a four, do you think you actually hit a four? Now, I haven't seen this, but I, uh, I haven't seen this recently, I should say. I'm pretty sure either Crick Info or Crick Viz a while back went into all the ball-by-ball -ball data and said that for every four that is hit, three are attempted, right? So you're now talking about a lot more risk to get that one occasional boundary. The other thing is, scoring twos has two risks involved. The first one is that you are probably um, trying to push a ball into a position um, in order to get that two. So, for instance, if you want to get one on the offside to the offside sweeper, you're either going to have to open the blade more so that you can get it square, or you're going to have to punch it past short cover. The other option to get twos is to loft the ball. Again, risk. What's the second risk with the two? Forcing the run. There's so many risks in one-day cricket. And the reason the players play boundaries is, in some, some cases, those risks actually make more sense. The other thing that I think you're forgetting is the fours and the sixes is what puts pressure back on the other team, right? The ones and the twos don't put pressure back on the other team. You can handle that. The team scoring at seven runs and over um, it, you know, and scoring ones and twos, you're like, okay, well, if we can break through here, we can, we can get back on top. The other team scoring at 10 and 12s and over, you panic. Ha have a look at Afghanistan versus Maxwell, right? A really good example of that. But there have been plenty of examples of that. South Africa, uh, sorry, um, Sri Lanka versus Markram. Was it Sri Lanka versus Markram? Yeah, was another one. We just saw the team panic because he was putting so much extra pressure on. The other really important thing here is, how do you think you get easy ones and twos? It's the boundaries. That's what does it. That's what changes fields. That's what makes bowlers strain for the great, the golden ball because uh, the normal balls are just, um, um, have already gone for boundaries, right? That's what makes bowling teams take risks. So all of these things, and, and, and further than that as well, of um, it might be less risky for Maxwell to play a reverse sweep over two fielders in the ring um, than it is for him to, uh, I'm trying to think, let's say he's facing a left arm finger spinner who's bowling on middle stump and spinning it away. Uh, for you, you might be like, oh, I should turn that on the leg side. There's a risk in that because he's playing against the spin. In his mind, he's like, okay, well, I can flip this um, and put some pressure back on the bowler and, and the fielding um, side here by playing this. And the field is up in this position. So all I really need to do is get enough bat to go over the top. So it's risk, but it's a risk that will, might change the field. It might change the way that the bowler is bowling. They might bring on another bowler. All these sorts of things. You can't just hit ones and twos because if you you won't score enough. There are too many players out there who are too good at hitting multiple boundaries now. Um, Keshav says, huge shout out to Jared. That's me for bringing us amazing content. Well, amazing might be pushing it. Um, on every single day of the World Cup, even on non-playing days, and sometimes even doing three podcasts a day. I think my record in this World Cup is four recordings in one day. I think we worked that out um, uh, at one stage. Uh, look, I... I think the one-day World Cup is probably something for me that if you go back to 2011, uh, we did um, 
uh, two pricks at the Ashes. So it would have been two pricks at the World Cup. Although we weren't at the World Cup. I think we were still called that. Or we, no, maybe we changed to the Chuck Fleetwood Smiths by that stage. Uh, but me and Sam Collins, anyway, that was a really big World Cup uh, for both of us. Um, you know, helped us get to the point where we could make the film. It was, you know, one of the points where we were making better video content than Crick Info. So we were then hired by Crick Info to do that content going ahead. Um, so, you know, that World Cup was, was very instrumental. You know, 2015 for me, uh, certainly as a writer and someone covering the tournament, uh, was a really, really big deal. And then 2019, uh, again, but I think by 2019, people sort of knew me as the global cricket writer. Um, you know, I'm probably, uh, polite inquiries as well back in those days. Um, Actually, Polite Inquiries was in 2015 as well. And Zoltzman was in 2015 um, as well, um, two men out. Um, one day I'll get him back here. Don't worry. He'll come. We'll get Andy Zoltzman back. He doesn't even know. I'll just kidnap him. He just lives around the corner from me. I can bring him back. Um, so, I, I, you know, the T20 World Cups, uh, people don't really follow them the same way. And w- we figured that the one-day World Cup, there was something there. You know, me and Muku spent a lot of time trying to work out what the two channels should be, how they should work for each other. You know, in, in truth, um, it's certainly gone um, a lot bigger um, than, than we ever really thought it would. I think Indy's, Indy put a message down about, you know, many of our most popular videos have been uploaded in the last few weeks. Even some of the older videos have had a huge boost. Uh, we have done well beyond what I thought was a reasonable amount for us to do in this World Cup. And the T20 World Cups, we didn't really get a huge bump. Right, you know, we didn't. The T Twenty World Cups weren't all that much bigger than, for us than an India, um, England series or a um, Ashes series. So I'm glad it's worked finally because we knew we were putting the content together. We knew there were little tweaks, and a lot of it is algorithm based, which is why we have the two different channels as well. But um, huge thanks to everyone for supporting us um, uh, in this channel. Like, I can't do this live if people don't turn up to the lives. Right, like all these things are really, really helpful. Patreon, without Patreon, none of this would exist. So, you know, all those people, especially the early Patreon people, but even the ones who are still going strong now, just so important to us. Um, and our ability to continually, you know, to get Estelle on, right? And, and, and Bayram on and all these other people. Um, as someone else has said, uh, can you do something like polite inquiries that you did with Crick Info? Uh, uh, Ari Hunt said that, sorry. Um, me and George have talked about bringing it back. I think if we were going to do it, we like being able to do it in person with each other. Um, I would never say never, but there is a chance that, yeah, one day me, me and Dobell will bring um, Polite Inquiries back. Um, obviously, we'd have to use a different name at that point. Um, I think Crick Info probably owned the name, but uh, we would do a similar version of that into the future. Um, it'd probably be like a long podcast that we would do together, and then we'd get, um, you know, uh, Muku in and, and uh, you know, or Rakesh or whoever, or AJ, um, to edit it into a Polite Inquiries-like thing. Um, you know, Polite Inquiries, I, mean, I mentioned two men out. I mentioned, um, uh, the fleet, uh, Chuck Fleetwood Smith. You know, all those things, I would love to still do versions of them, you know, going forward. And I suppose, um, the easiest one to sort of bring back is Polite Inquiries or a Polite Inquiries like show. Um, but that's, I think, I hope all that I need to talk about this channel. Um, Big says, is there ever a situation at the end of innings limited overs cricket where the feeling side will avoid getting a set batter with a slow strike rate out if the next batter is a fast striker? So there's a reason why this hasn't happened. And in T20 cricket, it's probably a possible thing. Um, you know, the Lendl Simmons innings is quite famous. Uh, and there was another player as well that, that I think there was a similar like, like innings. But the reason this doesn't usually happen is because 
it'd be, be very rare for a player whose first five ball strike rate would be higher than someone else's five ball strike rate when they'd been in for a while, right? Uh, Luke Ronke had a uh, first four, five ball strike rate of 170, but he was an opener and the field was up. I don't think anyone else has ever come close to that, not, you know, not Andrea Russell or anyone else. And the other thing is that set batters um, are much harder to dismiss than new batters, right? Plus the panic of getting wickets out. There might be a situation where you have a player who's striking at like 60 in a one-day or 90 in a T20 game and, you know, there's a chase on and you're just like, we, let's not try and get them out. But if they get out, that will be fine. Um, but yeah, I think, I think in general, I, I think people undervalue how quickly, how hard it is for some, a new batter to come out, survive and score quickly. So I don't, I think cricketers don't undervalue that. Uh, oh, I already put that one up. Oh, Indy, oh, sorry about the podcast. Indy also says uh, three people for the podcast is better than two. Uh, yeah, it, but it, it means it's harder for us to organize them and everything else. But Estelle will be on a lot more podcasts. You don't have to worry about that. That was part of the plan we brought her over for. Um, and if you haven't heard, she was on her first podcast with us yesterday. And of course, she's been on Red Inca before. Adjugal says, how big of an advantage for India with no um, left arm orthodox in the Australian team? Yeah, the one thing I would say to that is that there is certainly um, Abe Spinner who spins the ball away from the bat, right? So it's it would be different if Australia didn't have anyone who could spin the ball away from uh, right-handers. Um, but in this situation, that's not quite the case. Uh, but yes, I, I think it probably helps with the you know the amount of left-handers that um, uh, uh, right-handers, sorry, that India have, and also for Kohli, and that that'll probably be in the piece tomorrow because I do think that's an important thing. Uh, you know, not having someone who can uh, put pressure on Kohli, um, I'd have to have a look if there's like any other bowlers who have that ability, but it's probably not all that like uh, likely, I don't think. Jugal's got another super chat. Oh, wait. Uh, Shame me to pick up lefty openers from around the wicket. Yeah, it's very possible. It's also very possible that, you know, he overpitches and they get it wrong or, you know, or, or anything else. Um, but yeah, it, it's very possible. It's also possible that India pick um, Ashwin for the left-handers, by the way. As even as an insurance thing, um, uh, so all these things are, uh, you know, could happen. Path has put a super chat in, but I just see that, of course, uh, it's sorry, it's just a, uh, when R Rakesh is not on with us, it is very hard to find the secondary super chats that some people make. But I think I have it, Path. He says optimistically. Pass says, what in the world makes a team generationally bad at chasing? Do South African domestic teams chase like um, domestic Australia um, batters play spin? No, that's a very different thing because that's a, that's a conditions-based thing, right? You know, there, there's a reason why um, Asian teams struggle uh, when the ball bounces um, overly high and, you know, um, uh, England and Australian players struggle when the ball spins or New Zealand players struggle when the ball spins. It's just because their conditions don't have that. It's a really good question, Path. I'm trying to think of a good answer for it. I do think there is a mindset. There is a South African cricket at its worst can be very robotic. And batting first probably makes a lot more sense there. They will, the way that they go about, um, the way that they play makes a lot more sense in, in that way. And batting first is sort of the automatic style of, of most people in cricket throughout the history of the game. Um, and 
you can then put, you know, then once you have a total, you're, you can, you bowl accordingly to that total. Why they struggled when batting with that, I don't know. The one thing I would say is that bilaterally, they're not terrible at chasing. So it is a World Cup thing. It is a pressure thing. And it is the fact that they would clearly always prefer to bat first as a, t- as a team. But there will be domestic cricketers who are really good at chasing within their setup, right? There'll probably be domestic teams in South Africa that are good at chasing. So it's a fair question. And I, I, also, I wonder how much the narrative has just sort of become the issue, which is why I just think for the next four years, they should just bat second um, every single time. Like, I just think that's a much better way um, uh, uh, um, to do things. But yeah, it's, it, I think it's a fantastic question. Part. I don't know if I have a great answer to it, if we're being honest, because the, the one thing I would say, actually, and I have written about this before, is that if you look at South African teams, they probably traditionally have not been as strong in that four, five, six, seven, well, maybe not four, but certainly five, six, seven positions as some other teams have been. You know, they pick all-rounders a little bit more. Um, they, but, you know, some of those teams, when you look at them on paper, maybe just not as strong in that position compared to some of the other better teams out there. Um, but, yeah, and that's not the case with all those chases, if we're being honest, as well. Shrikant says, every team specialist with poor um, FC numbers. India is a big exception with everyone being test quality. White ball specialists overrated. Are you not, Shrikant, potentially overlooking the fact here that some of those players may actually have really good red ball numbers um, comparatively to their team, right? So if you're looking at it compared to India, most of the best Indian batters are going to have first-class averages well over 40, right? That's not going to be the case of England players because there are, England can't even find test cricketers who average over 40, let alone first-class players. So I, I don't think, I think if you really go through that, you will find that a lot of the teams do have their best batting talents actually in the World Cup. Um, but the big, big difference there is that India has players who average over 45 in Red Bull cricket everywhere, right? And that is not the case with all these other sides in general. So you're already picking from your best batters um, in that kind of situation. Um, so, and if you look at it, what is Surya Kumar Yadav in that situation? I know he's not quite a white ball specialist, as in, you know, he has played a test. First class cricket, he averages 43, right? Um, which is fine, but it's not on the high side for India. And you would have to argue that he is a specialist, a white ball cricketer. The other thing is that there are you know, different ways that players develop in different nations. India, there is a proper incentive within Indian cricket to score quickly now. That has not always been the case. And for many years, we had a lot of players who were more like, you know, Pajara and Dravid coming through in India. And if they were your best batters, sometimes they still use those in, in one-day cricket, right? Now, the best batters are also being met with the financial imperative. If, you, if you're learning to play cricket, you know, in the last 10 years in India, whether you were 15 at the time or whether you were five at the time, chances are, someone in your development was trying to get you to score faster because that is where the money is, right? So that's not always the case for, for everyone. I know T tw- it's the case for all T20 players, but it's not actually the case in the same way as it is. It's a life-changing amount in India and everyone is fighting for essentially an IPL squad uh, position, 
Whereas in England, for instance, and in, even in shield cricket, you can have a really good career financially by being uh, still really good in red ball cricket. Outside of that, you want to get into your national side. And if you want to get into your national side, you might chase it. So I, I think there are probably other tinier elements like that, Shrikant, as well. Um, but I, I, I mean, no one's made runs in, in cricket around the world over the last couple of years, right? Like there's lots of teams who have struggled to make runs. Um, in, in you know opening batters in in white ball cricket but certainly in red ball cricket all the way through every you know most batters have struggled at a certain point um and and i think with that you you know there aren't as many great test players out there who can also play white ball cricket because chances are you probably had to pick a red ball player who's more of a specialist because you just had to get them and they're not going to work in the white ball game like it's all well and good to say india have got all these players but you could have made the same Thing, how many specialists did Australia have in the golden era? But look at the kinds of players they had playing in their test match lineups. They had Gilchrist in their test match lineup, they had Hayden in their uh, test match lineup, they had even guys like Martin, Ponting. Um, you know, you can go through some of the other sides as well. Um, that they had well, you know, Mark Wall, these sorts of players, they are naturally aggressive players. Um, some countries are going to have more of those options available to them, and some won't. So, I mean, Nathan says, Oh. I'll pay my Patreon gladly if you keep EV on RI. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you should be on RI, uh, well, Red Inca, sorry, <laughs> um, uh, every week, just because uh, Red Inca is generally me interviewing other people. But we will find a podcast for her. There won't be any problem with that. We're, we've already talked about a few. There might be quite a few podcasts coming in the future, um, uh, I, I would assume. Uh, Goppel says, uh, we go to Jared for a break from work. Uh, where does Jared go from a break from work? Does he write software? No. Well, that would be more work, wouldn't it? Uh, drive Uber, brain surgery. Uh, thank you for the amazing content uh, with Bayram, Estelle, etc. cetera. Oh, well, thank you, Gopal. And thank you for the super chat. Um, I watch a lot of basketball, I suppose is, is one thing. Um, I hang out with my kids. Uh, this is my first um, all day with my daughter today, except for now, but she's eating now. She doesn't give a crap that I'm not around at the moment. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so I spent, you know, I was probably the primary carer for my daughter up until this World Cup. Um, and now she goes to the nursery a couple of days a week. So we've changed her, her schedule a little bit more. But I used to have her for two days a week plus the weekend. Um, uh, but yeah, basketball. I love podcasts. Um, uh, certainly a lot of basketball podcasts, um, but a few other podcasts that I listen to as well. Um, I do a lot, uh, you know, quite a bit of fitness work um, these days. Uh, what else do I do? Yeah, play, um, we play video games with, with my kids as well i suppose those are the main things um but i i honestly i love my job i think i have picked something that i really enjoy doing i write every day and i would i wrote every day before i became a professional writer and i if i ever stopped becoming a prof professional writer i i would probably write um and i you know I, i've got a friend i'm not going to out him but he is someone who works in cricket who every time he calls me he always says just a quick call and he says that because he knows he's going to ask me a couple of questions and i'm going to go into deep the answer and i might it might take a while basically i'm podcasting even when i'm not podcasting right and in fact me, me and john norman when we eventually we got our own radio show on talk sport too um john was just like we might as well just record like what we talk about in the way back from cricket games and and, and broadcast it because it's the same thing and there's there's a a sense of truth to that so you know i think um from that point of view even when i'm doing stuff um in my personal life, it's still kind of, did I even put my thumb up? Anyway, um, 
uh, you, when I'm doing stuff in my personal life, it's still kind of the things that, that I like to do um, professionally as well. Drew Girl says, how big a drop-off for Australia from this to the next ODI World Cup? Well, I mean, you're assuming there will be a next ODI World Cup. Uh, look, the, I, we've talked about this, and, and I don't really know. It, it would be interesting to look at England, New Zealand, Australia. Am I missing another team? I mean, India will change a bit too, I think. Probably, like, Shami won't be playing in the next World Cup. Vera and Rohit probably won't play in the next World Cup. Um, so not as bad. But, yeah, New Zealand, Australia, England. I think there's another one I'm forgetting now as well. Um, but, yeah, look, there'll be some changes for lots of teams. But doesn't that always happen? Like, isn't that a fairly common thing? Uh, you might, you know, you get, like, you might be lucky and get two or three World Cups out of your better players. But there's usually quite a bit of turnover uh, between World Cups. I think that I, I think that's fairly common, Drew Um Drew Gull says, will Canada Cricket and Shield Cricket pay as much with Test Cricket expected to decline in quality and corresponding TV money even in England, Australia, and India? Well, Test Cricket's actually making more money at in for those three teams than it's ever made before. Um, so, and, and Test Cricket is no longer the one that is look, being looked at as the struggling format, right? Like, I never thought it should have been. I always thought it should have been ODI that was looking at, at looked at as a struggling format. But ninety kids wouldn't. 90s kids kept banging on that I was wrong. Well, clearly I'm not because one day cricket is now really in trouble. Um, and Test cricket is the one that's been saved. Test cricket actually has a really interesting future, Jagal. I, I, it's interesting that you see it that way because it works perfectly for streamers, right? Uh, five days of content in a row, seven hours of content on each day. Um, uh, so I think that. There is, uh, there are obviously challenges with Test cricket. Franchise Test cricket is a possibility going into the future. Uh, what, what else? What's another way of putting it? Um, separating the the forms of cricket so they can all govern themselves and look after themselves um, is another way that you could do that. Uh, but county cricket um, is works because uh, county fans go to the games, right? County cricket was big before Test cricket was big, and there are plenty of people in the UK that care a lot more about their county than they do the national team. Not to say they don't fo follow England or anything else. It's a little bit different in Australia and India because I don't think those things exist as much. You know, no one goes to Shield Games. No one goes to Ranger, um, no, Ranger Gate. Um, by the way, when I do this, people always go, oh, well, I go. Well, yeah, of course you do. You're on this channel. You're listening to this podcast. Of course you go. But, you know, I've always made the joke that I've been in the MCG for a Shield game and I'm the only human in there, right? Like, that those things are that also true. Probably not quite true. I was ever uh, the only person, but there weren't many of us in some of those games. Um, but there is, I, I think that over the last couple of years, there's been, a, you know, World Test Championship has probably changed things a little bit as well. Um, but there's definitely money to be made from Test Cricket. And even if it was a secondary competition, so, so I always find this really interesting. People always say things like this. Oh, the quality won't be as good, so people will stop watching. And yet, you watch the American sports just keep expanding, right? In, in, in many different ways, which of course, if, if you kept the original, what was it eight teams in the original NBA, the standard of the NBA basketball would be so much higher than having 30 teams, right? The IPL, six teams. Once, once they expanded, it got a little bit weaker. Next time they expand, it will get a little bit weaker. Eventually you hope more people play the sport and, and things catch up and, and all those things are true, but you'd still be have a much higher quality if you had fewer teams, right? No one watched when the IPL went from eight to ten teams. Who who was there 
going outside of me because I did do this. But how many fans were there? Casual fans were there going, oh, I can tell that's not as good as it was last year, right? And and it's, the truth is it wasn't. You know, there are a lot of what I would say players who struggled in in the eight team format. Suddenly, there was a little bit more junk bowling out there. There was a little bit more, you know, batters who had struggled in years previous who were um, uh, making a few extra runs, you know, and, and vice versa as well. But I don't think that means that it was going to hurt the overall product. These things are supposed to expand. If we get to a point where we have Test Cricket and T20, let's say they're the only two formats just because they make, make this easier. It would be like going to a rugby league match and going, oh, the quality is not as high. If all of rugby was together, we'd have all the best rugby players. But a lot of the best rugby players go and play union and the rest go and play league. And so it's, you know, and then sometimes they go and play in the NFL as well, right? That's not how rugby league fans watch their sport. And that won't be how test fans do. Test cricket should survive because it will have a market because as people get older, they will move towards that format naturally, which I think is is, um, there. Um, It's got incredible history. It works for streaming platforms. It works for social media. It actually has a lot of advantages over T20 that haven't been fully fleshed out by a cricket board so far. Um, But there you go. This is supposed to be, of course, a podcast about the World Cup. And absolutely um, sensational that we've managed to make it um, about the future of Test Cricket. Uh, but I'll try and get a couple of uh, World Cup ones back. Um, Indy says, do you think this is the greatest World Cup by any bowler? Um, he's talking about Shami. I mean, when you ask a question like that, you're asking the wrong person to go off the top of his head because like, I would have to go through every single World Cup. Um, I think Glenn McGrath had an epic 2007, didn't he? Um, pretty good 2003. I think everyone took wickets to Australia in 2003 and he was better in 2007. It's my memory of that. Um, I mean, Shane Warne, semi-final, final, plus the rest of that World Cup. I, and he actually took a while to get, get going, but that was a pretty good 99 World Cup. Um, wasn't Akram in 92. I don't think had the kind of impact. If you look at pure numbers, Shami will look better than everyone else because of the strike rate and also the average. But... That's not the same, probably, as saying that it's the greatest World Cup anyone's ever had because there probably are World Cups where bowlers kept teams in it um, or made them win it in a way that Shami, they were really good before Shami played. So it's a slightly different um, situation there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it should, I can't see any way where it would be like the top five best bowling performances ever in a World Cup, but I would have to go through, you know, Joel Garner didn't play a lot, but. I want to say 79 World Cup. I thought Joel Garner was quite good. Was that the the five wicket all against England in the final, I think? Um, I think that's right off the top of my head. Uh, So that's certainly a very, very interesting one as well. Um, uh, Thank you for the super chats, uh, um, everyone. Uh, A couple more left, but I I better finish up in a moment. Gaurav says, uh, who are your favorite contemporary sports writers? I think Wright Thompson's my favorite writer. Uh, Christian Ryan, I absolutely love. Usman Samidin, I suppose he's an editor now, but you know, when he when he kicks the dust off, um, I really love him. Fidel's great as well. Um, I really want to see how you know Isam continues to develop. I think he's a you know, he's a real talent. Um I'm trying to think of some of the others that I, I really like. Um yeah, I like a lot of the analysis sort of people coming through. Thinking basketball don't really write, but they write the scripts for the YouTube, um, of course. Um, I, I love uh, what they do over, you know, on their podcast and on their YouTube. Um, uh, um, Sam Fasini, I love the analysis, like the stuff he does on the draft, um, just absolutely blows my mind um, in the NBA. Uh, John Hollinger, 
and Keith Law in in baseball. Um, I, I kind of, I think at this stage, I kind of follow everything that uh, everything in baseball via Keith Law um, <laughs> more than more than anything else. Um, again, those are so him and John Hollander are very kind of insidery people. You know, I think they both worked for teams. Um, trying to think of some of the other writers uh, that I go out for. Um, yeah, don't read as much of the featurey sports writers as I used to. Um, probably just as I've got more into analysis, um, I've moved on. And a lot of the better writers, like, they've probably done a similar thing in some ways as well. Um, feature writing doesn't seem to be as strong now as as the the top. It just just because the money's probably not there would be my guess. If you get back to uh, the other one, um, I'm trying to think of someone else. That I mean, obviously, there's people like Jonathan Liu, um, uh, you know, Andy Ball. Um, uh, Barney Rone, oh, you know, fantastic. I love George um, as well. Um, hmm. I feel like I have more and I can't think of any off the top of my head. I, um, oh, there's a brilliant Indiana Pacers um, writer um, and I've forgotten her name, but she is like, I feel like I learned 20 things about basketball every time I read something uh, fr- from her. Um, so she does some fantastic uh, stuff over there as well. Some some of the the basketball writers, especially their ability, because they can show video clips because they have a sport that's not you know thinking about fans. Um, the ability to match the video with the analysis really helps. Um, James Edwards is another one that comes to mind. Uh, you know, in in basketball as well, um, it's really good at that sort of stuff. And, and so I think the way I read sport is very very different now. Um, I loved the um, Pablo Torre and 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 Mina Kimes' um, podcast on ESPN, the ESPN Daily. I think that was what it was called. And Pablo's obviously gone off um, to do other things now, but I always thought that was um, that was written. I was on one of those episodes. They, they spent a lot of time writing that, and I and I think um, there was a, another podcast series that I loved, which I want to say was called Sports Wars, but I might be getting the name wrong. But it was about and I'm, I don't know if it's still going, but it's not on my podcast app anymore. But um, maybe I just changed phones and put a new app on and missed it. But it was about rivalries within sport, but sometimes even within teammates. So I think they had a Shaq and Kobe one. Um, they had um, a great one in women's tennis. And I'm trying to remember. It must have been Never Lover and Everett. Um, uh, but they had a few others. Very kind of more American focused, but, but really, really cool. So um, um, certainly there was plenty of stuff out there with that. Uh, path, of course. Path, can, is it not possible to put them all in one message for me, my man? Um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, I'll, uh, oh, there it is. Uh, should South Africa just hire Trot? <laughs> um, uh, should South Africa just hire Trot? No, look, Trot is just starting on his journey. Um, I, 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 I'm pretty sure that Afghanistan was on this trajectory. Perhaps he's helped them chase a little bit more, but they weren't chasing 350, right? And to win a World Cup, you need to be able to chase 350 and 380. I'm not saying Trot couldn't coach a side like that. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, that's not even fair to say. But if you look at what he did with Afghanistan, it was those middling totals um, that, that they chased. Um, but yeah, uh, do, I know, um, do I know peak Mitch Johnson's workout? Uh, he was always well built for a fast bowler. Probably gave him more injuries, um, like Dre Ross and Klusner. Uh, no, I don't. He's got a podcast though now. I don't know if they do Q and A. Do him and Barrett do that? Um, and good luck to them. Uh, you know, 
I'm going to get Mitch back on for a podcast at one, one stage and we, we can talk about some more stuff. But he was on an episode of Red Inca a while back as well. Um, but no, I don't know. I do know. I'm pretty sure he told me this or he tweeted it. Or maybe it was both. Maybe it was on the podcast. But he talked about the fact of how much his body changed after he became a fast. Uh, sorry, after he retired. And he went after the beach body for the first time after years of having the fast bowlers body. And I don't think everyone in cricket, I don't think cricket fans always understand how different those things can be. Aditya says, I bowl leg spin back of the hand with my fingers moving like off spin, clockwise like a flipper. It spins a lot. I bowl leg spin back of the hand with my fingers moving like off spin. I bowl leg spin back of the hand. Well, how would you, how is that possible? Because your off spin is your fingers being around the ball like that at the back of your hand. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't. It feels like the ball would drop out before you'd even get there. Um, I'm not aware of anyone uh, doing that this year. But hey, it sounds like a lot of fun. The, the thing is, I, I actually, you know, we don't. Oh, oh, Anguish is just coming. I'll get to him in a second. I'll get back to Aditya. Um, I don't do a lot of this sort of stuff. Um, it, you know, coaching um, stuff for for amateur players or anything like that. But I do get these questions every now and again. But the the basic answer is always: Is the thing working for you? Right. And do you understand what you are doing so that if something goes wrong, you can rebuild it back up again, or you can add to it, or you can tweak it? Those are the most important things, I think, when, you know, for any young cricketers coming through or any older cricketers who want, want to learn these things. And Ankush says, just join. If you got to ask this after the first semi final, why wasn't Gil sent out after Coley got hurt? Roel did an amazing job, but Gil was hitting well. I would assume that Gil wasn't um, well enough. Would have been. I, I never actually checked that because that was because I wasn't expecting him to come back in at all. So when he came back in, I was actually more shocked um, that he finally came in. But if you've retired hurt and um, you don't come back in early on, generally that would that would mean that you're still not particularly well. I don't think it would have been a strategic. There's there's nothing strategic that I can think of as you've asked that question um, that would make sense uh, for you to just send someone back in. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's, I think that's right. Yeah, it would, it would more have been. So generally what happens is you retire hurt, you go off and you fix what is wrong with you. In his case, probably it was dehydration, I, I believe. Um, or, you know, not, not feeling particularly well, dizzy head, whatever it was. I can't even remember now. Um, that game was so many days away, days ago now. Um, but yeah, let's say it was something along those sorts of lines. You go off the field, obviously, you would work with the physio, um, in India's case, a, a doctor as well. Um, you know, they'll be talking to you. They'll be seeing how you are. They'll, they will then go back to the captain or the coach and will say to captain coach, okay, uh, we're looking at them. Uh, they probably won't be able to bat again today. Or we're looking at them. They actually might be ready to go back in half an hour. What do you want to do? Then they, the captain and the coach will then generally talk uh, with the player directly at that point and say, okay, you sure you want to go back out there? Yep, I think I can go back out there. Great. Well, then you'll uh, get your pads back on or generally players may not have even taken their pads off in, in a situation like that. But get your pads back on, get ready. You can go back out there at the fall of the next wicket. That's generally how those things happen. Um, but you wouldn't do that until they were ready to go back out there. So that would have been my main assumption um, on that one happening. Uh, again, it, you, YouTube um, followers have just gone above and beyond. Um, dragged me out to an hour. Um, Rakesh will be laughing because I, I always say to him, we'll just do half an hour. And it's impossible for me to do half an hour in anything. I get one interesting question and uh, I'm 15 minutes. I might have done 10 minutes on comparing me to Aubrey Faulkner at the start of this podcast. That's how bad it would be. We have a video hopefully coming out sometime, probably a little bit later tomorrow. 
on how um, Australia um, can beat India. I talked about that at the top of the episode if you've come on late. Um, and we have another episode, we'll, uh, uh, sorry, another um, video that we'll probably do for the, um, what do you call it? Uh, one more episode that we will do on, um, oh, Hardy Pandya, as I said before. Uh, so we'll, we'll certainly get those um, to come back out. Uh, but uh, huge thanks again for everyone supporting us. I don't know if we're going to do a live tomorrow. My son has a cross-country race. My my daughter has swimming. But if I get a spare, um, but my wife is back. She's anyway. My wife actually went for a conference. I'm like, no one goes anywhere anymore, right, since COVID. My wife actually went for a conference during the semifinals of the World Cup. I cannot think of a worse time. Anyway, um, my wife's back, so perhaps I can slip up and do another one. But I'm not promising another scoreboard tomorrow. Um, uh, but thank you to everyone again for all of your support. And I see the comments uh, absolutely bumping. Way more people here than I thought there would be for this one. So thank you to everyone. And I will see you again, if not tomorrow, then certainly after the World Cup final. I will be at the Cricket H studios um, with that dodgy lighting um, and recording from there. But thank you again. And uh, if your team's in the World Cup, they will probably win. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sainapayi and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. If you are a podcaster who happens to waffle on and you need a way to cut down your long-form content, Memento FM is here to save the day. They turn your lengthy media into bite-sized chunks for even the most time-starved audience. Start using Memento FM today.